Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from Macomb, Illinois, and we have got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about garlic mustard. Sounds delicious, but we'll find out what what might actually be the case with this certain plant. Um, and you know, I cannot do this by myself. I am joined, as always, every week by horticulture educator Ken Johnson in Jacksonville. Hey, Ken. Hello, Chris. Speaking of delicious plants, have you used up your ginger yet? Not yet. So uh, listeners and viewers, we have been harvesting ginger and turmeric and galangal, um, and we, we just can't stop. And I think we're going to be doing a show about that here coming up about what are these crazy spices? But um, no, Ken, I, I haven't used up my ginger considering I have like 50 pounds of it in my basement. So how about you? Did you use yours? Uh, it's sitting on the counter waiting to be used. I've been looking up recipes and most recipes don't need a whole lot of ginger. They don't. <laughs> so <laughs> make, make sure I'm a hand at ginger ale. See there how you that go. works out. But. Yeah. It's a, it's a spicy spice. Like there's a little bit of heat to it. So if you put too much ginger, then you're kind of like, ow, this, this hurts me a little bit. But yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, so today, Ken, we're talking about garlic mustard. And it also got me thinking, have you planted your garlic yet? I did. I think I planted a little too early. It's it's about four inches tall now. <laughs> so. Oh no. <laughs> well, we'll see how it does over the winter. Okay. Well, see, I remember the year we planted our garlic in early, mid-October, I would say. And that was the year that we were mowing our lawns up until like mid-December. And I think, yeah, our garlic got like four or six inches tall. And then it just kept getting, I mean, it got hit by a really brutal frost. And then it got warm again in January. It grew then another brutal freeze. And that was the smallest garlic I think we harvested that year. So yeah, those those warm winters can play havoc with our garlic. Yeah, maybe lots of mulching in the future, try to <clears throat> protect it as, as long as I can go get some, look like some of my neighbors will use trick-or-treating. So lots of people, the bags will leave sitting out. So I may go grab those and start shredding them and mulching mm -hmm. stuff. Yep, yep. Oh yeah. No, I'm lots of leaf collection right now in my neck of the woods too. So, oh yeah. But today, Ken, we are talking about something that also has the word garlic in its name, um, garlic mustard. And we have two special guests with us today. Um, our first guest is uh, our very own Illinois Extension State uh, Forestry Specialist, Chris Evans. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Hey, Ken. How are you all? Good. Never better. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Always a good day when Chris pops in uh, and and kind of gives us the scoop on on some of these plant species. And then uh, we are also joined today by uh, Extensions Communication Specialist Emily Steele. Emily, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, long time listener, first time caller. Um, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Wait, people listen to this? That's yes. amazing. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, we can we can call it a day then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, well, Chris and Emily, we are really happy to have you here on the show today to talk about garlic mustard. But but before we do that, let's let's uh, back up a little bit. And Ken, um, maybe we need to give a bit of an overview uh, here, um, a bigger perspective on on invasive species. So go ahead and kick us off, please. So if you are a longtime listener, you've known we've been talking about uh, invasive species the last several weeks. Um, and kind of how we've defined it is Chris Enroth and I as you know, problems, plants that are causing problems, um, economic or environmental problems. And we kind of also add that caveat of also listed by the state of Illinois. 
as invasive. Um, but we'll start with with you, Chris Evans. How do you define invasive species? Kind of like what's your definition when you think about them? Sure, sure. So a little broader than what you have, but that's fine. Um, so first of all, I consider invasive species not just limited to plants, right? So they're kind of all taxa. We have invasive diseases, invasive animals, insects, and everything. But it's uh, it's an organism, some kind of some organism that is not native to that ecosystem. It was origin originated somewhere else. It could be other part of North America or another country. Uh, it's been introduced here, either accidentally or on purpose. It's somehow arrived in this new environment and its presence in that new environment is causing some kind of, of damage. And like you said, it could be alteration of you know, economics or ecology or some kind of environmental problem but there's a, a negative consequence of the fact that that species is now in this new landscape. I read something the other day um, from the Prairie Research Institute that they did a survey that one out of three plants in Illinois woodlands, wetlands, and grasslands are now non-native, which you think of the scope of that, and that's upsetting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there's that famous uh, the canopy survey of trees in the Chicago region, and um, something like over half the trees in the Chicago region were common buckthorn, which is an invasive too, right? So yeah, there's, Ow. it's a big problem. <laughs> oh man. Well, I go into a lot of prairies and I see a lot of brome, a lot of non-native trefoils. Uh, yeah. A lot of that forage stuff that was put down many years ago. Yep. Yep. Unfortunately. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Chris, you recently came back from a, a state, was it a state or was it kind of a regional or national conference on invasive species? Uh, it's it started out as regional, but it's really becoming national. So this was the Upper Midwest Invasive Species Conference. So that is uh, held every two years, and it focuses on again all taxa of different invasive species um, for that are of relevance to the Upper Midwest. But there was people from you know almost every state um, in the you know in the country there, plus a lot of can Canadian folks too. A. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, it's a great, like, there's so many conferences and there's so many ways to learn about invasives, but it was such a great opportunity to get together with, with other practitioners, managers, researchers, um, and really just focus in on invasive species. And, and um, the presentations there were great, the, the time interacting with everybody. So it was really a, a treat to get to go. And, you know, we, we've had Chris Evans on the show uh, many times before. Uh, we know, you know, when it comes to invasive species, you're the man. And I, like, I've been bothering him very frequently recently, because it's a great time to control woody species and people are calling with questions and stuff. So we, we know why Chris is here. But Emily, it's your first time on the show. Um, you work uh, closely with like with Ken, me, Chris, a lot of uh, folks in extension on a lot of our social media, a lot of our marketing, promotion, communication work. So I got to know, we're talking garlic mustard today. Why are you interested in this particular plant? Such a good question. Um, yeah, because my background is in communications. I'm with the um, state marketing team. So um, I work with our natural resources teams, our horticulture teams to uh, help develop resources and use the best marketing and communications techniques. Um, uh, I went back to school a few years ago um, at U of I what a surprise, um, in their natural resources and environmental sciences um, program, because I'm interested in kind of the intersection between communications and science. Um, I, 
as a kind of human dimensions issue because we know that there's a gap between research that happens. It gets published in a journal article and it doesn't always get to the public, to the people who can um, use that information and effectively make changes with it. So um, I'm really kind of interested in exploring that area. And when it came time to finding a, a capstone project for um, the final part of my program, um, I'd already worked with Chris on a lot of um, programs for the forestry team, and he pointed me to some recent research that they had done on garlic mustard. And that's how I got pulled into it and became a garlic mustard fanatic, fiends, enthusiast. Those are all positive words. I'm not... <laughs> okay, so with a name like garlic mustard, I'm thinking of many different things. I'm thinking of uh, yellow mustard I put on hot dogs. I'm thinking of the garlic that I mince uh, to to throw in a salad dressing. What does this plant look like? There's all different things coming to mind right now. So if I had to go outside right now and go look for it, what am I looking for, Emily? Sure. Um, and I'm going to send you some photos to look at here. So um, garlic mustard is a low growing herbaceous plant that has a two year growth cycle. So um, in Southern Illinois, you can see them germinating as early as February. Um, and then in its first year, it's growing really low to the ground and it can be kind of harder to identify at that point, but it's got these multi-stalked multi-stalked clusters um, called basil rosettes. And the leaves are these um, kidney-shaped or heart-shaped, depending on who you ask, um, with these round scalloped edges. And then when you crush them, they actually smell like garlic or onion, which is kind of where that name comes from because it's, um, well, it had been traditionally used by Europeans as like an herb because it's early growing in the spring. So they'll go out and, and um, use it that way. In its second year, it's going to um, bolt and flower in the spring and it's easier to identify then. So um, in Southern Illinois, that usually happens around early April. It's a few weeks later as you move um, into Northern Illinois. Um, so when it uh, bolts, it's gonna be about like one to two feet tall. It's gonna have multiple stalks coming out of it. Um, and it's going to have small white flowers on it um, with four petals that are in the shape of a cross. That's what they look like. Chris, did I get it? Uh, yeah, yeah. The only other thing I would add um, is after it's done flowering, the seed pods are long and thin and they kind of stand up. So there's these long little thin seed pods that, that kind of happen after the flowers are done. And you can even pick those out um, much later into the year. And so just kind of reinforce this, because um, if, if listeners or viewers uh, from previous weeks, we've talked a lot about the life cycles of plants. And so it's very similar, that biennial life cycle. Uh, some of those carrot family plants you're talking about, poison hemlock, um, giant hogweed, all those, they have that, that two-year cycle where it's a lot of basil or kind of that low ground growing uh, foliage. And then that second year is the reproductive year. That's when they shoot up that flower stalk and they get real tall flower set seed and then they go everywhere so just wanted to reinforce that that biennial two-year life cycle for also garlic mustard i yep. read in the process of doing this project i was looking at a lot of research on garlic mustard and the average amount of seeds that a plant can produce is around 360 but for really large plants they've counted like 8,000 plus seeds like so it's it's a high producing plant as far as seeds go Oh, absolutely. We and some of our research, we looked at um, seed counts on some of the plants. We found as many as a little over two thousand per per plant, which is um, still quite a bit. 
And the crazy thing that uh, in researching this, I found out that it, the seeds can survive in the soil for a really long time. In the seed bank, um, there have been estimates up to 10 years. I've seen four or five is around average. Most of them will germinate the first spring, but there are other seeds that can last in the soil. So if an area is disturbed, then these seeds that are in the soil where you didn't have garlic mustard will now germinate and suddenly you have more plants that uh, that you weren't expecting to see in an area. Chris kind of mentioned this earlier, garlic is good to eat, mustard is good to eat. So why, why should we get rid of garlic mustard? Um, or, or I guess more simply put, why should I care? about garlic mustard? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, basically, since, you know, it is, we call it an invasive because it does, you know, some level of, of negative damage. And what we see with garlic mustard really is that it tends to replace our, our normal uh, forest understory plants. And so as any of us that walk around in the spring in, in Illinois forest, you know, we have a suite of sedges and grasses and wildflowers and, and just a whole ecology on that forest floor. And there's a lot of, of other organisms, you know, insects and animals and things that rely on, on that diversity of our forest understory. And garlic mustard uh, is the ability to grow and form these dense patches that kind of overwhelm that understory to the point where there's not a lot of other things growing in there. Um, and it does it a couple different ways. One, it's, it's really unpalatable. There's nothing out there that really eats it that much. And so in take deer, for example, if the deer comes into the forest, they're going to nibble on and eat the other plants and kind of leave the garlic mustard alone. So over time, it gets a competitive edge and, and more and more garlic mustard grows and it pushes out more and more of the other plants. The other plants are kind of uh, eaten more and more by the deer. So it's this kind of feedback loop where that just slowly takes over. And the, the other thing we see with garlic mustard is that it's actually allelopathic. And so um, it produces chemicals out of its roots. And we've all heard of, you know, black walnut doing that, right? There's certain things that won't grow near black walnut. Uh, garlic mustard's like that um, in the sense that it exudes chemicals out of its roots that actually impact uh, the fungal uh, community in the soil. And so a lot of our native plants associate with, you know, mycorrhizal fungi in the soil to be able to take up nutrients. The, the mustards typically don't do that, right? They don't really need that association with this soil-borne fungi. And so by getting some level of a, of a fungicide in the soil, it stops or slows the growth of this, uh, this foil, the soil fungi, and that kind of hurts other plants, but it doesn't the garlic mushroom. So it just, again, it gives it more of that competitive edge. Yeah, and I mean, I would add for, for all the reasons that people enjoy their forests, right? We love them because they're beautiful, because you can go climb trees, you can watch birds, you can go hike, um, you can harvest timber, you're foraging mushrooms. Um, all these things are kind of threatened when you have these invasive species come in and form a monoculture, um, because they're pushing out all these other species, and, and suddenly we don't have this um, diverse ecosystem anymore, and it's not as strong, and it's not... Um, performing all these ecological functions that we rely on forests for because forests are important for for um, filtering and cleaning water uh, trees store carbon and they produce oxygen so all these kind of things that we rely forests on they're all they're all threatened when we have invasive species come in and change the entire ecosystem so so it sounds like this is this is bad news i don't know if if destroy forests is the right term but so it basically it's going to have some pretty severe potentially have some pretty severe impacts on on our forest ecosystems then? 
Yeah, yeah. I don't not destroy. Destroy is kind of a tough tough word. <laughs> um, it changes our forest in negative ways, right? You're still gonna have a forest, you're not gonna completely get rid of it. But like Emily said, you know, a lot of the things and the reasons we have forest and the the uses of our forest are going to be changed in negative ways um, when you have garlic mustard there. And I think actually garlic mustard can affect um, the growth of tree seedlings, right? Like really young tree seedlings, it'll kind of shade out and, and compete with them for resources. So you're potentially affecting the future trees as well, like the future generations of that forest. Certainly, yeah. And so one thing when Chris and I were, were talking about this, one thing we heard is that, you know, eventually it kind of goes away on its own. The garlic mustard, is that the case? Um, there's, there has been some recent research showing that um, populations will wane over uh, time in a, in a long time span. Um, and that's not surprising, right? We know with any species, and particularly an invasive, you often see this uh, steep incline in terms of the population numbers where it grows this massive amount. And then it, it almost self-limits itself. And then you'll get a, a decline over time in, in population numbers. And um, they're seeing that some with garlic mustard where these, like these long-term plots, they, where it's been really, really bad and now it's less and kind of moving down. So I don't think it'll go away over time, but it certainly is going to flux in terms of its population numbers. And the question is, um, you know, what level of damage or alteration is happening during those uh, fluctuations in that population? I, I would still argue that management is uh, an important tool to kind of limit those negative impacts instead of just hoping that you can weather them and then it, it gets better later, right? Yeah, those studies were, I want to say, on the, the eastern part of the U.S., and they were, like you said, long-standing populations around at least 50 years was the kind of the bare minimum of what I saw. So you have to let garlic mustard take over and have an infestation of it for 50 years before you see any potential declines. And like Chris said, you're at the risk of losing a lot of other things if, if, you're, if you wait. So it's, it's, it doesn't really seem like a viable option for management. You know, we, we often... I feel like I see or I visit forests or natural areas that are just full of invasive species because it's usually people who call the office like, hey, help, um, what do I do? And the other day I went to a, um, a CRP area and it's relatively young, 20 years, I would say, and they planted a lot of oak, uh, black walnut, have some, some hickory. Uh, they had planted ash back before EAB, but um the the interesting thing is not quite like oak savanna. It's a little bit more dense in terms of tree canopy. But as you were describing, Emily, like how we enjoy our woods, and and then uh, you know, I was just I was thinking about this. And Chris, you mentioned how it replaces garlic mustard replaces that herbaceous understory. This relatively new wooded area, they've managed invasive species, and the herbaceous layer underneath is just something that I don't often see anymore. It was really neat. We had a lot of uh, some woodland golden flower, woodland sunflower, um, uh, goldenrod. That's what I meant to say if I misspoke that. But um, yeah, that zigzag goldenrod. Um, saw a lot of that in there, woodland sunflower, and just a lot of interesting plant material that I don't often see in an open forest setting like that. So I just made me think, made me think about my visit to that that CRP. Yeah, it's it's always special when you go to um spots that have kind of that assemblage of native plants and you can see that and so 
you're not walking through a sea of buckthorn or garlic mm-hmm. mustard or something that we unfortunately see all too much of. But I guess if you're looking at a bright side, it makes you appreciate some of the, the, the native species and the native communities that are more intact when you when you do see them, right? Yep. I say, especially those spring ephemeral wildflowers, right? Because garlic mustard comes up in early spring. It's a lot of invasive plants have features like that, right? They become green before um, other native plants do. So they take advantage of of that sunlight before other plants are out there. But when you don't have um, garlic mustard, those spring ephemerals are coming up. You've got may apples, you've got Virginia bluebells, you've got these beautiful wildflower shows and it's it's just something to see. So folks are listening, you're like, all right, I pulled up my garlic mustard, what do I do? You just heard a list of plants of, hey, these would be great if you don't already have them, Um, which I've seen actually people will do invasive removal in in understories and suddenly all the spring ephemerals pop up that they never put anything back in the ground. They were always there. Yeah, that's, that's the one advantage I would say of forest restoration or forest management over Sometimes when we're trying to restore a prairie that's had, um, you know, decades of, of cropping, which has basically exhausted its, its seed bank in the soil, a forest, a lot of times, you know, that seed bank is still there. So that, that collection of native seeds and, and of our native species are, are still in there because the disturbance has been less in the history. So sometimes, yeah, even the minimal amount of, of management, whether it's getting rid of invasives or putting a fire through there or something, uh, and you see that seed bank just express itself. And so I, I do think sometimes the the response to management from a forest is more quick in a way um, than it would be when you're trying to start from, you know, an ag field or something that you, you don't have that that remnant seed bank left. Okay, so uh, Chris Evans, uh, we've had to distinguish in past shows of this is a listed invasive species versus this is a species of concern. <clears throat> Burning bush. Oh, man, gets caught in my throat sometimes. Sorry about that. Uh, Japanese barberry. Wow, what is that? Um, but anyway, if I go look for a listed invasive species, am I going to find garlic mustard listed as legally invasive? Um, well, that's a tricky term. So, okay. so no, you're not, you're not going to find garlic mustard currently on a regulated species list in Illinois. That doesn't mean it's not invasive, right? So uh, in Illinois, there's, there's, uh, there's a couple different regulations that deal with invasive species. And, um, and I can provide a link to you. Uh, we have a couple of publications with the Extension Forestry page that kind of goes into detail of these. Uh, but the two major ones um, for terrestrial plants are the Illinois noxious weed list and the Illinois exotic weed list. So both of those regulate, um, put restrictions on, on plants in Illinois. The noxious weed list is typically focused on agricultural pests, and they are um, not only, but, but typically, and they are um, regulated in a way that it, require, it requires control if they're on your land. So if they're there, you need to get rid of them, plus you can't move them and, and things like that. Um, the exotic weed list is uh, terrestrial, like more invasives of natural areas, and it regulates um, the sell, the transport, the purchase of plants. But if it's on your land, it doesn't require you to get rid of it, if that makes sense. So two different lists, kind of two different um, kind of focus uh, um, systems. One's ag and one's more natural areas. And so currently garlic mustard's not on either list, mainly because uh, the exotic weed list, which is again, those, those natural area invaders is really built 
um, the regulate the regulations are built to stop sale and, and movement of plants. And nobody's really buying garlic mustard, which is why it wasn't a priority to put on that list um, initially when it was made. But, I think, but those, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to add that I think other states actually have garlic mustard listed um, uh, as a uh, plant that they're regulating. Um, I want to say uh, at least eight others I found when I was looking at it. So um, not not here yet. <laughs> no, it's not. But um, but it may be, you know, there, there, we do have an invasive species council that's um, kind of restarting and looking at assessing plants and, and garlic mustard could certainly be on that list of assessments, uh, you know, plants to assess. But um, again, it doesn't mean that it's not invasive. We know it's invasive in Illinois. It's widely considered invasive. It's one of the priority species. If you look at uh, the Illinois Wildlife Action Plan, which is one of the big state conservation plans, it talks about invasives, garlic mustards mentioned in there. It's just, uh, it's just not on the regulated list. There's a whole lot of things that should probably be on there. As Chris got stuck in his throat. <laughs> Calorie pear, my gosh, what is going on? Sorry, I got a bug in my throat. I don't know what's happening. Hey, things are changing in Illinois right now. Again, we got this plant council. We're looking at assessing new plants. I would say that in the in the the next few years, we're going to see some changes to those regulations. So that's just a little little teaser. All right, you heard it here first. That's right. <laughs> All right. So so how did it get here? Um, to begin with, was this intentionally brought in or is it like a lot of other things accidentally? I guess both a lot of things that are invasive could be either intentionally or accidentally. Where so does this one fall? That's so I couldn't find any literature that specifically said people brought it in because it's not a crop, right? Like a lot of like agricultural crops, European settlers brought in. Um, uh, but this one, so it's, we mentioned that it's an herb, it's native to Europe. Um, the earliest recording like that I could find in North America was 1868. Um, so it's likely one of those examples where um, we had settlers coming into North America in the 18th, 19th centuries, and they were bringing seeds with them like garlic mustard, um, or, or maybe they unintentionally brought them with them because sometimes, I mean, seeds transport like we know with garlic mustard it very easily um can get stuck in the tread of shoes and things like that so this case we're not sure if it came deliberately or or unintentionally but it got here um so uh first sighting in illinois that um, i found a record of was 1918 but it wasn't until like the 1980s that we uh researchers really saw it becoming a problem in northern illinois um it kind of hitting the forests up there and now we have it um, in 70 of Illinois counties, kind of across the state, southern, northern, where there's forested areas. So it's it's kind of widespread right now. Oh, yeah. And I recently was recently, uh, I recently looked at an article um, where they did kind of a genetic analysis of garlic mustard plants um, to kind of source where they came from. And uh, they found that they came from multiple European regions. So there were multiple inputs like from settlers from all over. So it wasn't just like one boat came across and that's how garlic mustard got here. Um, but so they found them, um, they sourced them back to the British Isles, Northern Europe and Central Europe. Yeah, it's not surprising that it's moved around quite a bit. I know that, um, like Emily said, people can move in the tread of shoes. It's got little hard um, seeds. And I know I did uh, way back in the day when I did my thesis work um, many decades ago now, uh, 
garlic mustard was one of the species that I worked on. And so I had a pair of boots when I was doing my transects. And sure enough, in the house that I was living in at the time, right out my front steps, when I take my boots off every day, sure enough, garlic mustard showed up right there. So even though I was as careful as I could be, I introduced it to, um, you know, that property, which I didn't killed it after that. But uh, but yeah, it's it's easy to move around. Oh, I was just going to say that's why it's so important to like if you go to a natural area, like if, if you know there's garlic mustard or even if you don't just clean your shoes, clean your gear. If you if you're horseback riding, clean their hooves out, like do whatever you can, your due diligence to to prevent the spread of these species, because it, it's really easy to go from one plant to hundreds of them. Um, so there's just kind of small steps that you can take as far as prevention. That's what we tell uh, our Cub Scouts. I got three boys in Cub Scouts and it's stay on the trail. Don't go wandering around. One, because you're going to get all kinds of burrs. Two, ticks are a real thing. And then then three, invasive species and spreading those around. And so, yeah, all, all the trailheads too, uh, in my neck of the woods, they have boot uh, brush stations. And so that's like really helpful. So use them. That's why they're there. Yeah, yep. I, I, I there's a photo I saw when I was looking into this that um, uh a student at Southern Illinois University had done a research project on boot breast stations. Um, and um, there's a photo that I love that it's just a tiny little um, garlic mustard germinate growing up right under this uh, uh, boot breast station. So they work, right? Like you're able to, to clean them out and, and leave the seeds there and not bring them home with you. So say, you know, we, we've got property where we do have garlic mustard. What are the steps we can do to start managing that? On our, on our properties and stuff. Sure, so that question, the answer to that question kind of depends on a lot of things, right? Like um, how big is the infestation? What stage of growth are the plants in? Um, is there this unique native ecosystem that you wanna protect? So there's a variety of approaches and we always encourage people to um, get in touch with their local extension office for a consultation maybe to figure it out because managing garlic mustard is a multi-year plan and you wanna go into it like having a strategy in place. Um, we've got a lot of resources on our new website um, about garlic mustard. It is go.illinois.edu backslash garlic mustard. And um, I'm sure that'll be in the show links. Um, Chris, do you wanna talk about some of the management options that are available? Yeah, and, and like you said, Emily, you know, con consulting with folks and kind of figuring out what level of, of infestation you have is obviously the first step. But you know, there's several ways of getting rid of it. Um, the the nice thing about garlic mustard is that it it has a short life cycle, right? Like you said, it's a biennial. After two years, that plant's going to die, and it's fairly easy to 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 kill an individual plant. Not easy to get rid of a population, if that makes sense. But you know, you can do every anything from hand pulling them up. So if you only have a few plants here or there, just grabbing them, pulling them, getting that root out of the the ground. Um, is one way for larger infestations, you know, there's several herbicides that work well to, to control the plant and its phenology, its development over time, it gives us some times when we can control it where there's not a lot of uh, other things growing. So you have some selectivity there, so you're not damaging your natives. Um, you can even use torches um, and, and kind of burn the plants that way. Um, kind of or a combination of, of all those things but the main thing that you need to do when you're looking at garlic mustard is not letting it um, produce those viable seed and spread those viable seed on the ground that's your main goal with with management is keeping it from producing viable seed so it yeah. sounds like chris a controlled burn would be effective 
and a understory? Um, it's part, so okay. it, it kind of depends, right? So uh, a controlled burn um, at the right time of year can certainly kill a lot of those rosettes uh, or wilt them down. Um, and so it can be part of it. But the other thing that a controlled burn can do is um, give the seeds that are in that, that, that leaf litter layer of garlic mustard, give them better seed the soil contact and actually stimulate them to germinate. So a lot of times what you see after a, a burn would be an actual flush of garlic mustard seedlings right afterwards. And so you think at first, oh, shoot, I've made it worse, right? But um, if you're able to follow up after that burn and kill those seedlings before they produce seed, you're actually kind of helping by getting rid of the seed bank as much as possible. So burn alone is not going to do it, but burn in combination with other control techniques can be very effective. If you're hand pulling, can you eat it? I've heard of people making pesto and stuff out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Have Have any of you ever eaten garlic mustard? I have. I've, yes, I have not. I did in the spring when I was down there That's visiting right. with you. <laughs> so I actually, I don't know what what you all think then, but I think it's pretty good, right? I mean, it tastes. It's mm -hmm. got a little. It smells like garlic, but it's got kind of a peppery flavor, and I've had it on pizza. Yeah, I've had it on pizzas say, and. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I got you way off. Um, I was just gonna say it reminded me of arugula, right? Where it's that kind of spicy green and it's part of the mustard family. So it's got a little bit of that bite to it. Um, yeah. It smells great though. There's a, there's a great recipe in um, that Wild Edible Mushrooms of Illinois. I don't know if you've ever seen that book, but there's a, a recipe in there for like a sour cream, garlic mustard dipping sauce for morels. And it's, it's pretty awesome. So maybe you need to take some of the ginger and find a way to pair that with garlic mustard, um, maybe some pickled ginger. I don't know. I don't know what your options are here, but um, see if you could do like a foraging feast. <laughs> yeah, we need to we need to get a, a food episode going here, Ken. I don't I always get hungry when we talk about stuff like this. <laughs> sounds delicious and and also just folks note when ken asked that question he said hand pulled if you're spraying the stuff do not eat it that's a big no-no just want to make sure you're not doing that and read those herbicide labels if that's what you decide to go with absolutely and i think from what i've read the first year plants the leaves of those plants tend to have a stronger flavor than the second year plants when they're bolting and flowering is that right yeah in my experience i think fresh plants. So as the plant ages in the spring, in the spring, kind of later in the spring, um, as the plants are getting closer to shutting down or producing their seed, the, the smell and the flavor is not as much. So yeah, early spring, um, actively growing stuff is when, um, you know, when it really tastes. And you can tell, you can just walk through garlic mustard and just smell it as you're just wondering through if there's, if it's actively growing, it's just immediate, the smell of garlic. So, um, when we were talking about, you had mentioned, Emily, this new website, and we're definitely putting a link below because this is a, an amazing uh, depository of information or repository, sorry, <laughs> the wrong, whatever the right word is. It's a great place with a lot of information on garlic mustard. A and library. <laughs> it's a great library. I mean, it, everything you wanted to know about this plant uh, from life cycle to you know what it looks like, when to control it, what to do in terms of management. Um, it's all there. You have some fantastic videos there where we uh, feature Chris Evans on there. Uh, yes, uh, uh, talking about it. And so great resource. 
at the bottom, it says research updates. So is there any current blockbuster uh, breaking news research updates on garlic mustard? Or is it like, so my wife's a dental hygienist, it's like dentistry. There's not much new uh, under the sun when it comes to dentistry. People get excited when they invent a new tool to scrape your teeth. So yeah. <laughs> Any new research on garlic mustard? Yeah. So we, <laughs> the dentistry thing. Um, so we deliberately wanted to include research updates on the invasive species website because that's, that's University of Illinois Extension's goal, right? To communicate research updates to the public. So we wanted to kind of have a clear place for people to go for, for land managers and, and landowners to um, to hopefully make their lives easier. And um, so one thing that's in there right now is research that um, Chris actually helped with. He teamed up with the University of Wisconsin-Madison on a project related to it. And they were looking at the time frame to apply herbicides in the spring. Um, and I think their results actually gave us a few more weeks of management. Was that right, Chris? Yeah, so the whole idea behind this, if you look at a lot of the management recommendations, it says, you can spray herbicide up to the point when the, the fruit are starting to form on the plant. And at that point, you need to shift to hand pulling and other things. And nothing wrong with hand pulling, but if you've got a lot of garlic mustard, it's pretty time consuming. So what we wanted to look at was, is, is that true? And, and if you do uh, continue herbicide treatments, even after the, the cedar formed on that plant, what is the ultimate fate of those seeds, right? And we wanted to know, is it still effective? And so that's what we did. We took a few populations and we waited until the last flowers had fallen off the off the plant. There was fully formed green seed on the plant, um, but it wasn't yet dried down. And then we sprayed them at that point in time and then tracked those plants over time, harvested the seed, counted the seed and, and tested them for viability to see just how um, how much viable seed was was on these plants or produced by these plants. Uh, when we treated them later than uh, is typically recommended to treat them. And we found yeah, actually uh, huge reductions in, in viable seeds. So I think that those late herbicide treatments reduced the, uh, the viable seed on the plants by, you know, usually over 90%. And so while there was still a few seeds in there, um, you, you got rid of most of them. So it turns out it, it can be an effective tool for us um, for especially large infestations later in the year that uh, we kind of didn't know if that was an option um, earlier. Just going to add, it's not, uh, we're not doing this research at University of Illinois as far as I'm aware of, but um, when it comes to garlic mustard um, and invasive species in general, um, sometimes we look at uh, biological controls. So is there a predator of that plant or insect or whatever the invasive is that you can um, carefully introduced to control that population. Um, <laughs> there have been times where that has backfired in the history of invasive species in which those introduced biocontrols actually become a problem themselves. So I think people are broadly more cautious about using those sort of things. Um, so there are some aphids in Europe that feed on garlic mustard that um, they're exploring the possibility of um, introducing, uh, of using them as biological controls. But I, I think that's still kind of pretty early in the early stages. Yeah, some of those accidental, not accidental, intentional introductions are actually clustered in the corner of my office right now, a bunch of Asian lady beetles. Um, <laughs> they, they bite too sometimes when you try to get them. <laughs> um, if I could ask maybe a couple like management consider uh, questions on on herbicide, but also 
you mentioned biological controls and I've seen people use goats for things like honeysuckle to would, uh, I mean, goats eat everything, right? So I'd imagine garlic mustard might be on their menu. Uh, maybe, you know, uh, the problem with goats um, are, it would be preference, right? So the nice thing about honeysuckle, uh, it's in the Caprifoliaceae family, which, you know, your Latin, of course, means goat leaf family. So, of course, it's going to be a preferred. That's new to me. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. I love that. Um, it's, it's, it's a preferred food item for, for goats, right? So the goats are going to aim at that and, and target that because it's, it's highly palatable. Even if they would eat garlic mustard, if it's the only thing out there, which I, I don't even know if that would be the case or not, um, my, my, I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of other preferred food items um, in the forest that the goats would choose first, right? So I don't think it works the same necessarily with, with goats um, on garlic mustard as it does with honeysuckle or one of these preferred hosts, if that makes sense. Okay, all right. That makes, that, that makes total sense. So my next question also in terms of herbicide use, um, is there any difference in terms of like concentration of when you're treating basil rosette versus that second year flowering stage is it the same kind of low concentration foliar uh, type herbicide application it is so both of those um, both of those are what we call foliar applications where you're spraying the leaves you're letting the leaves um, take up the herbicide and translocate it to the rest of the plant in those cases with a foliar application you are using a fairly dilute formulation of herbicide um, of course, you'd want to read the label and, and find out because uh, every herbicide formula is a little different and find out what's recommended with your particular uh, one you, you purchased. But yes, it's, it's typically a dilute formulation, especially as compared to uh, other treatments that we do with woody plants sometimes where we cut the stump off and treat the or cut the plant off and cut the treat the stump with herbicide. Um, a lot of times that's a concentrated um, um, one where you're using a, a much stronger formulation, but yeah, for garlic mustard, the rosettes and the uh, second year plants, you're using the same. I want to say the, the recommended um, herbicides are glyphosate and triclopyr. And for glyphosate, it's um, one to three percent concentration in water and then triclopyr one and a half percent. Yeah, for the, range. you know, somewhere around that, you know, for a spot treatment, again, there's uh, so many different concentrations of glyphosate or triclopyr available for purchase. Uh, you always got to add the caveat read and follow the label just to make sure it's there. But yeah, those are kind of the, the typical spot treatments. And then uh, <laughs> Ken's holding up there our, our great management uh, guide for invasive plants, which has a lot of good information in it. Yep. And it is and, online, free PDF. We'll link to it. Yep. And it has garlic mustard on the cover. So look at that. That photo, it's such a pretty photo of a plant that it's almost like I used it in so many materials. I'm like, this photo is gorgeous. This plant is awful. This, I like, it's almost like that juxtaposition of, do I want to use this gorgeous photo? Are people going to get it? <laughs> like, <laughs> but we have other photos of infestations that really show the impact when it takes over. So, so look at those too. Definitely. Well, that was a lot of great information on garlic mustard. Uh, just another invasive species to add to the list of of controls so you know we all say job security here when it comes to invasive species uh, they just keep it coming 
and we are here with uh, the most current relevant information for you. Um, there's a lot of things, uh, reasons why, why, why Chris Evans, Emily Steele, you're here today. First of all, you're both wonderful people. We love having you on the show. Um, but also, Emily, you know, you have been researching and studying this topic for, I think, what, year, two years now? Um, so you're getting ready to defend and a thesis on this and research. And so we are really excited for you. We wish you the best of luck um, on that next step here. And so, yeah, good luck. Thanks. I'm really excited. It, it seems a little unreal to be at the end of it now, but um, ah, exciting times. <laughs> And, and then, of course, the unveiling of the brand new garlic mustard uh, uh, website on Illinois Extension site. So, Emily, could you give us that that web link again, please? Of course. Um, it's go.illinois.edu backslash garlic mustard, and it's part of the broader invasive species website. Um, so that garlic mustard page has some, some tutorial videos. It's got some um, reminders you can add to your calendar to remind you when to look for garlic mustard in the spring. It's got some info sheets. It's got um, uh, identification guides, all sorts of good information. Um, so it's good if you're if you have no idea what garlic mustard is um, and you you need help identifying, or if it's good if you're a land manager and you want to make sure you're you're using the right control approach. So lots of resources on there to check out. Excellent. Well, the Good Growing Podcast is a production of University of Illinois Extension, uh, and edited this week by Ken Johnson. Ken's in the editing chair today this week. So um, yeah, so we're. Uh, uh, again, Chris, Emily, thank you both for being on the show. And Ken, thank you as always for being here. Yeah, it was great to be here. Yeah, always happy. Thank you, Chris and Emily, for being on. Yeah. Got some, I go find some garlic mustard and try it now. There you go. Hopefully it hasn't been sprayed yet. <laughs> and uh, Chris Enroth, let's do this again next week. Oh, we shall do this again next week. We're going to be talking about a grab bag of questions. It's November. It's the end of the season. So what do you want to know, folks? You can email us uh, and let us know. We'll have our email in the in the show notes also. So we've got a lot of links in the show notes today or this week. So, um, but yeah, we're going to be talking next week. Uh, Ken, what are we talking about next week? Surprise surprise. That's right. It'll be a surprise. <laughs> so yeah. So please, uh, though, if you if you have questions, comments, uh, you can email us. We post the version of this to YouTube. So if you heard something that you you thought, hey, I'd like to see a picture of that, I bet we got a picture of that on our YouTube video. So click over on the YouTube link. So for that, so listeners, thank you for doing what you do best, and that is listening. Or if you're watching us on YouTube, watching. And as always, keep on growing.